Welcome to the Monumental MacGameCast episode 20. Uh, getting up there in the numbers. Really fun. I'm John Carr as always, and I've got a bunch of great friends here today, starting with Casper. How are you? Hey, happy 20th. Hooray, thank you. And Mr. Ted, how are you? Uh, doing well. And the ever-awesome Sam, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, thank you. Fantastic. So, uh, Lily may or may not show up later. She's on duty. We'll see. Not going to even ping her. Don't want to bug her. Um, so, episode 20, we've got a couple things planned. We might do a bit of a part two on, uh, like, I don't even know what to call it. Like, harassment in game companies, I guess. Game company, development culture, whatever you might want to call it. Uh, Ted, Lily, and I covered a bit of that last episode, only for like 10 or so minutes, maybe 15. I'd like to hear some of maybe Sam and Casper's thoughts on that. Uh, Casper has some really cool adventures he's been doing in wine lately. And also uh, some silicon facts I didn't know about dual booting. I feel like a noob. So that could be interesting. Um, he found some secret info uh, about that. And what else was on the docket? Um, I want to mention a little something about Gloomhaven, which finally got its official release. And we'll go from there. We'll see. There's a few other ideas floating around. We may or may not do metaverse stuff or game dev crunch or whatever. Um, what should we start with? Um uh, Sam and Casper, I'll just ask you here. Like you've, you know, we've talked about this briefly on other shows. Touched on it, like the uh, the game controversy stuff, uh, like with Blizzard specifically. Um, but Blizzard's only the really like the high profile one now. I think uh, back a couple of years ago, Riot, who does League of Legends, they were in a lot of hot water for the same thing, like all this reports of harassment, and I don't know if it goes as far as to say as abuse, but a lot of harassment. And poor treatment of mostly women, but also some other people. Um, and they had a bunch of people fired and all kinds of investigations. I don't believe they ever had any lawsuits against them. Maybe they did. I'd have to go back and check. Blizzard's like, I think, even in more hot water. But just kind of uh, curious on your take about that. Like, um, Lily's take was like, accountability culture should be a thing. If you mess up, you should be held accountable. Um, you know, that's just kind of normal. Oops, I forgot to turn on my do not disturb. There we go. Anyway, if you just had any thoughts or comments you wanted to share, uh, starting with Casper, you know, feel free. Sure. I mean, I don't know so much about the specifics of, of late incidents, um, anything regarding the more recent Blizzard stuff or even the riot things you mentioned. Um, I know that things like this have been a problem in the industry for quite some time. And I think it's one of those cyclical things that it seems we just keep you know, like having more stories pop up all the time. Uh, Rockstar, Bioware, it's it's been happening for, you know, for ages, really, right? Mm -hmm. And it's a shame, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I feel like game development is one of those jobs where most people go into it as, a, as really a passion thing, right? You're passionate yeah. about making games. And it seems like that unfortunately gets exploited in a lot of cases. Um, I uh, I remember in my first semester, uh, I, I studied computer science, and um, one of my professors in the first semester, he said in a lecture that um, you're going to get a, a nice job as a, as a computer science professional, and you're going to get paid well, unless you go into video game development, in which case this 
disregard both those sentiments. Yeah. You're not going to get a nice job and you're not going to get paid well. You might get a job where you're really passionate about the, about the things you're producing, but you're going to be producing them under probably terrible conditions. Hmm. And, you know, he, he, he laid that out for us. Whoops. Bit of lag. Uh-oh. Casper's been frozen. Ted and Sam, you guys still here? Nope. Yeah, I'm I'm here. Okay. All right. I wasn't sure if it was me. Sorry, Casper. You cut out for a little bit. Uh, uh, what was the last uh, thing? You, you were last saying uh, your professor laid it out for you. Right. Uh, well, in, in essence, I was just saying that. I think it's, it's really a shame that your passion can be uh, exploited in that way. That is a shame. Uh, Sam, you have any thoughts or comments on this stuff? Yeah, I've been like... I wouldn't say I've been following it, but it's come up on a lot of the other podcasts I listen to. Hmm. Sort of, um, Riot was a while ago. They had a few people came out and said some weird stuff was going on, and then like kind of stopped. And like a year later, I think there was a full like open letter, which was like very eye opening, hmm. very like uh, <laughs> embarrassing at at the least. <laughs> With like executives just like weird like stuff going on riot didn't have so much of like an illegal thing going on it had more of just like a you guys need to act like adults like like it looks like this company's being run by like 12 year olds that's mm-hmm. kind of what, what it looked like but then activision they had the whole lawsuit from the state of california and like they're having like employee walkouts and mm. um people are calling for uh what's his name bobby bobby kodak or whatever yeah. um uh, I forget he's been fired yet or not, but a lot of uh, hundreds of staff are calling for his resignation, like like internal staff. So, yeah, it's uh, and then Ubisoft had um, there seemed more isolated to a few individuals, not like more of a it wasn't really a company thing. It was more like this one VP had like ten allegations, so they got canned. Um, definitely, it's been a theme over the last few years. And like what Casper was saying, it's, I think whenever you go into a job industry that is related to passions um people will exploit that and you see it even outside of the gaming industry like i was talking to uh i'll just say colleague um someone i know a colleague um they work for their family a family-owned business and they're they're not exploited in like an illegal way but it's just like he mentioned what he makes and i know how much the industry pays and he's making like under half of what he should be making Wow. And then the excuse is it's like, well, it's family. Like, like, like what do you mean? Like, why, like, why would you bring up pay? Like, this is your family. Like, it's like, well, he has a family too that he needs to pay for. So, <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, you see it outside of gaming. And like certain gaming jobs, I think, are really, really good. Um, like, Cyberpunk, or sorry, not Cyberpunk. Um, wow, I'm blanking on the name. CD Project. Sorry. Um, they have had a lot of flack for, for Crunch over the years, but. There's also been a lot of articles come out where like those guys are in the top one percent of Polish people in terms of income. Um, like mm-hmm. the so it kind of depends where you are. I think software engineers obviously make a killing in a lot of parts of the world um, compared to game development, but in other parts, like Poland, for example, CD Projects one of the most viable companies in the country. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. Oh, I, guess oh. I didn't really answer the question. But no, no, uh, it's related. Also, Lily hopped on we're talking about our continuing our conversation about um 
I don't even know what to call it in a few words, you know, basically harassment or, or what's the word, exploitation in game development, um, yeah. worker workplaces, um, similar things. Casper had some thoughts, Sam was talking. Um, but that's all related because um, it's not just the harassment thing. It's like, well, there's like this overall umbrella of exploitation. And under that, one section could be harassment. One section could be like underpaid or overworked. There's a bunch of different areas under this like overall umbrella of um, mistreatment. Um I mean, the world's full of it. That doesn't make it okay. It's just an un- seems to be an unfortunate reality, especially in these larger workplaces, especially when they get corporate and they get big, and then things start to fall through the cracks, and maybe they don't get reported, or if they do, someone doesn't care, or someone's too influential or powerful or rich or whatever it might be. Um, the accountability Lily had referred to last time is starting, last time meaning last podcast, um, is starting to be pushed for more and more, and we are seeing it. Like Sam was saying, some of these people have been canned and fired at Ubisoft and other places. The whole riot debacle. Um, Blizzard's just really high pro- profile or activism Blizzard. Um, yeah, Casper, what are you thinking? Uh, well, if you just finish your little thing, because it was something semi-related, but not entirely. So, Okay, I was just sort of mentioning, it. like, well, the game crunch thing is interesting to me. Um, I guess depending, because a lot of anyone who works in... Um, you know, software development, web development, any of these sort of digital development type spaces, or, well, I guess hardware is not digital, but um, software. Uh, Some sort of crunch is pretty common. Um, I've worked not on every project, but on some web projects, yeah, I've had two or three day marathons where I'm just working all day, all night, I'm just grabbing coffee or whatever. Uh, You know, like I'm a zombie, but you push and get it done. So I guess the real question is, crunch isn't bad. Sometimes it's necessary. The problem is, I guess, the duration of the crunch, right? Is it a few days? Is it a few weeks? Is it a few months? Well, then it just gets ridiculous. No one should be crunching for like months on end. Right, exactly. And that's that's kind of what I was going to go into as well, because I think, especially when you consider the crunch aspect of it all, um, I'd argue that the the grand failure of leadership in, in this aspect is how how things are announced way too early and how projects aren't managed in terms of their evolving scope and mm. the time allotted to finish projects um because mm. if you it, in games especially you have release dates that are something sometimes like oh this will come out in 2022 2023 or something like that things are announced way ahead of time and then almost inevitably things get delayed right i mean when was the last time a game got released that didn't get a delay as well right I don't know, but it happens very rarely. Yeah. Everything gets delayed. Yeah. Um, and in terms of uh, when you manage a software project, um, what you typically say is that you can have a fixed release date. You can have uh, a fixed number of features uh, or a fixed level of quality. But you can't have all three at once. You got to like mm. pick two maybe, right? You, you can't have everything. Right. Uh, and if they fix a release date, and they also want quality, and they also promise all these features, then something's got to give, right? You, you can't have everything. And that's where we enter these problems with extended periods of crunch, with emotional manipulation to trying to get people to put more hours in, maybe even without mm. extra pay for it and, and all these issues, right? Um, but if you relax the time constraint and you say, we're just going to build a quality product, then we're not going to necessarily announce a release date way too early that we don't have to stick to in the public eye, but maybe do something akin to what Apple does when they release hardware, where you say, hey, we're announcing it 
get it next week or something. Uh, that might not be the best approach marketing-wise either. I don't know. But what I'm saying is that if you announce things way too early and you also announce a bunch of features and things, well, it's bound to happen this way. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, they have this weird dance between like employee, um, what would the right word be? Just like how nice or like quality of a workplace it is to work for. But then the other side of that is like the publisher and like the the execs that are like Q4, we need to hit X dollars and blah, blah, blah. So you see tons of games will either get delayed massively or they get the opposite treatment where they aren't ready at all. And they're like, you know what, we're going to we're going to like release this thing. They definitely know it's not in shape to release, and then it releases, and then everybody starts shitting all over the devs because this game is garbage. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, that's kind of not really like so, sometimes the devs mess up. Like Cyberpunk, they are their own publisher, so you can't really blame that. But other games, um, our good our good one is No Man's Sky, like it's a tiny indie team. Um, marketing for that game was off the charts, and then. Sony partnered with them for PlayStation. They were like a timed exclusive, I believe. And they were like all over the Sony uh, marketing. The game comes out. It's garbage. Well, it's good now. But I mean, at release, it was really bad. And then Sony's marketing head starts like taking shots at the studio as if Sony didn't know that this game wasn't anywhere in line with the expectations. I don't know. It's just this is big like blame game, like finger pointing. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah, it's... So they definitely need to optimize some things in that industry. Yeah. It, it's a weird industry compared to a lot of other ones. I, I mean, I personally like what Casper was saying about release dates. Um, I mean, I guess it depends on how big you are. Your brand, Apple, has obviously got a huge following. They know people are going to buy their stuff kind of whenever they announce it or release it. Like, it's really reliable. Um, but I feel like there's a lot of big companies or developers who have like made names to themselves already and they've put out quality games before, um, you, you feel it. I feel like they could do a similar thing, you know, or maybe not a week. Let's just say instead of a week, it could be a month or let's say one to three month window. That's fairly reasonable instead of yeah. this like one to two year window <laughs> or 18 month window. Then it gets delayed another three to six months or even more and all this stuff and all the feet, mm-hmm. like you said, you can't have all three. So then like features are dropped and things are rushed or, um, it's odd. I don't. I wonder if it's because they need the hype for like investors or um, what do you call it, shareholders, or but not every game company necessarily has to worry about all that stuff. Um, so I don't really know. Maybe they're just caught up in their own hype, or is it um, what do you call it? People just overestimating their own abilities to deliver on the project in a certain time frame, or um, I mean, in what I think in. Most software or web development, something like 60% of projects go over time budget. It's just like mm-hmm. so common. So it's clearly a problem in the industry in general. Why people don't adjust more, I don't know. I really can't say um, because I've, I've only been in a small company before. Yeah, Ted, what are you thinking? Well, I was one of the things that I've, you know, kind of irks me, and I've seen this a lot reading forums and stuff like that. People, People, users, players, complaining bitterly about a, a, a you know a missed release date, and um, you know I think some of it is generated by the, the the people like us who play the games and say you know can't you guys get your act together and you know if you say it's going to be released on this date it 
darn well better be. And that's kind of crazy because, you know, in my opinion, I'd rather buy the game when it's ready to play than get the game and then say, oh, gosh, it, it crashed. And then me, I have a friend, good friend of mine that tried a game that you know, came out too early, it, you know, it just wouldn't even boot onto his computer. He finally to get it, you know, a refund on it. And he'll probably never play it now because of that, because it wasn't ready when he got it. And, mm. you know, it, and, and I'm sure that's just not the only example. And I think a lot of times people get turned off. I mean, if you really, really, really like the concept of it, you might stick with it, but a lot of people get turned off. And, and, and I think some, to some degree, the, the marketing people are looking at what the market's asking for, and they're trying to, you know, get everybody aroused. Oh, we got to buy this thing. We got to buy this thing. And if the frenzy goes away, they're going to lose sales. And it's so it's kind of a, you know, combination of the people and the marketing. And that's kind of where I was thinking. But it's it, one of those little things that irks me. <laughs> no, that makes sense. Um, I mean, you can't um, say marketing's just a gimmick. I mean, Cyberpunk, okay, it's unique because it was so hyped, but by the numbers, apparently they had 10 million pre-orders. Pre-orders. Pre not even, like, post-release sales, which were even more. Like, that's how hyped the game was. But they announced the game in, like, 2013 or something. Or 2014. <laughs> it was, like, eight years later. Uh, they put out a cinematic, I remember. It was pretty cool. And it was like... But then you forget about the game because it's it's not even, you know, coming out for forever. So some amount of hype is required to be sure. Um, it just seems like a lot of it's over overshot. I mean, it's interesting to talk about CD Projekt um, or CD. I don't understand really. They have like CD Projekt and CD Projekt Red. I'm not sure if those are like two separate labels for some reason. Anyway, um, they also got in some hot water for The Witcher 3. Um, for demoing it, I think, at an E3 or one of those big game events back in, like, well, I, the game was released in 2015, so this must have been 2013 or 14. Um, and the game they showed, which was supposed to be, like, in-game footage, demo footage, you know, still in production, but still, was actually way better looking than what was released a year or two later. Um, so then people were like, well, wait a minute, you showed us this much better looking game, just visually. Not they didn't have like cut features or anything. It was just a graphical fidelity thing. It was like it looked way better when you showed us what happened. They're like, ah, oh, well, we turned out it was infeasible across hardware, blah 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 blah. But they didn't own up to that. They just they just released it, and then when people complained, they had to like address it. Hmm. Um. Uh, so I don't know. You know, devs just do weird things. Um. It's you know, will will they stop that? No, but. It, there is more backlash for it now. Like again, accountability. It's more than just like uh, treating, mistreating your employees or other employees and like harassment stuff. Um, there's also other accountability for like, are you being honest about the product you're making? You know? Um, so that seems to be coming more of a focus lately. But the problem is problem. These games that are committing these kinds of offenses tend to be so big and so hyped tons of people buy them anyway so they're already making in most cases they've made their money they're not like being punished by people like well i'm gonna vote with my wallet it's like well you already did hmm. i feel like yeah. it's that's sort of like a catch-22 um so it's like companies just keep doing it because they largely get away with it at least if they're big enough or if they're hyped enough yeah and kind of on that topic 
I think they get away with it a lot, whether it be like exploiting staff or like impropriety or, or like literally illegal stuff because the, game, the gaming industry on like the AAA end of things, not the Indian on the AAA end, it's such a small industry in terms of like how many companies there is. Like you have a couple of big publishers, a couple of big studios at each and everybody kind of knows each other. If you like frustrate your bosses at Activision Blizzard, this is a couple of years ago before all the stuff came out. They'll probably just bad talk you to the guys they know at EA and now you can't get a job at EA. And then, okay, that's like 90% North American development now that you're not blacklisted from. Maybe you go mm-hmm. to like Canada or Europe with Ubisoft, but that's a big move. Like it's, yeah, it's such a tiny industry. So like there's, there's not enough room to like, um, boycott. I don't mean that in like, uh, there's literally not, but like, it's just such a, a confined industry. Like mm-hmm. when you think of like TV or movies, like something happens with a director or whatever it's pretty easy to like say like i'm gonna boycott this thing and that's it's obviously easy to boycott a game it's a piece of entertainment it's not like we have to play it but on the other hand let's say you like i don't know open world rpgs this might be the only open world rpg that releases for three years so if you boycott that that's the only game that you had for the next three years and then you know, hopefully someone else released one in three years but it's it's not like other mediums where there's just a copious amount of content available on, on really the end, AAA end of things yeah that's a really interesting point um i think i had asked this of lily and ted a bit on the last podcast like what are uh for sam and casper a question at you um like what's your personal philosophy on this talking about the boycotting thing like would you be upset enough with a company whatever company pick your company or game like to not buy it or to stop playing it or like how do you how do you feel about that this isn't a judgment thing i'm just curious like how do you approach it um because I know some, because uh, I had a bunch of people who played Blizzard games. Because I played a lot of them the last five or whatever, my whole life, I guess. Um, and I know a number of them over this had actually stopped. Some of them had uninstalled their Blizzard games. Some of them had kept playing them but refused to spend any more money on them. Kind of a thing. Um, I don't know. What's your like personal thoughts on that sort of idea? Uh, I guess I'll go first. Um, so I used to be very vocal, well, not vocal. Um, very like rigid about like i boycotted i remember way back in the day i boycotted ea because they uh left steam i didn't like that so <laughs> i wanted to really be on steam yeah um but then I, obviously over the years there's been other stuff going on whether it's just like a horribly uh, misrepresented game where it's like they advertise of this it's actually not anything like that i i I'll, I'll never fault anybody who boycotts i think that's it's admirable and it's noble but i myself i kind of I've decided my time and like enjoyment is more important than like the pennies that the company is going to lose from me not buying the game. Yeah. Uh, I mean, comparatively. So I, I know it's like kind of hypocritical, but it's like me not buying, I don't know. I don't have a good game example, but it's like 60 bucks or whatever. It's like the studio doesn't care if I don't buy the game. Mm-hmm. So they're only person I'm really hurting if, if I actually wanted to play it was myself um yeah i know that's i don't know i don't love my logic there but i kind of know I, like, I don't have a ton of time so like yeah no i, I feel that i feel that too i don't know if you really like it also matters like what you're saying like what are your options in that in that space 
is there like five different games you could play that are similar or is there really only one for a really long time and if i'm really attached to playing something i'm probably going to still buy it anyway again that's potentially hypocritical um, yeah it's it would depend like why why i was boycotting it if it's right. just like oh i'm upset that they monitor they have microtransactions and like well who cares but if right. it's like obviously there's more depraved things and then that would be a hard boycott but um, right oh activision for example i don't really play any of their games so it hasn't even been sure a discussion i've had to have in my head about it right um no i it's interesting also like again why you're boycotting um when ea left steam i also didn't like that um although i had an origin account which i sort of gave to lily it's just hers now with a couple games on it <laughs> um although we shared it for a bit um, it's not yours anymore. No, it's not. It's, it's, under, it's under her email and everything. Uh, it all it all got fully switched over. Um, but the other, so the other flips. I know Casper hasn't answered yet, but the flip, not the flip side. Another element to this, I just remembered, and I had to bring it up at the end of the last podcast is uh, like in this terms of boycotting, not supporting. Because um, in most cases, let's say it's for something serious like workplace conditions. Um, uh, ideally. Ideally, well, ideally it never happens, but unfortunately there's always going to be a scumbag somewhere. That just seems to be a fact of life. So ideally it's something more like Ubisoft where it's just like, oh, one guy's the problem, you get rid of him. And the general like workplace culture, executive culture, whatever is pretty solid. Then you have other cases where it's just like widespread and that's more of an issue. Um, so if you're trying to boycott something, of course, really the goal is to try and hold those people, you know, the leadership accountable or whoever's in charge of handling this kind of stuff, whether it's a bad HR department or whatever it is, some some bum like Bobby Kotick. Um, so you're trying to hold them accountable by, say, boycotting the game and not buying it or not spending more money on it. Maybe it's a subscription game or a game with microtransactions or whatever. Um, but at the same time, you also you don't want to hurt the empl- like the regular employees. You want to support them. So I guess I don't have any data on this. I'm not sure. But like, say there is a mass boycott of a game, like big time. In most cases, they've already made their money, like I was saying, and the boycotts come later. So it's kind of questionable how useful that is but let's just say it was very effective i don't know million people refused to buy a game or something um i guess what i'm not sure is is the average employee hurt by this more than like the executives do the executives not care because they have enough money or other ways to make money or something you know what i mean i don't have the exact words for it but like i feel like that's a a potential sort of double-edged sword where the people who really get punished may not be the ones in charge but could be regular employees like um, who let go, I don't know, because Blizzard was criticized also. Um, they let go like 800 to 1,000 employees or something in, I think, 2019, 2020. Uh, but then they like paid all their execs a bunch of extra money. And people are like, well, why couldn't you have just kept the employees and paid them? You know, so, but they're like, oh, profits are down, rah, 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 we have to let people go. So it's like, it seems like that might punish the wrong people. But then, of course... The idea of the boycott is to try and to do a good thing. That accountability, like referencing Lily, accountability like culture is key. So, like, how do you do that? Or is it just like, is there unavoidable collateral damage, casualties of war, quote unquote, in this with like employees getting fired? I don't know. I don't have an answer. I'm just thinking out loud. Um, anyway, Casper, you can uh, chime in if you want. Yeah. So, um, one continuation of what you just said is. Um... I, I heard something at one point, I think it was from People Make Games, but I'm not entirely sure. But they were discussing the idea of a boycott as well. 
and they were talking to some developers from some big studio. And it was actually kind of 50-50 split between the employees there, what they thought of it. Hmm. Some of them thought that a boycott was sympathetic to poor working conditions, while other employees thought that, you know, we've worked so hard and crunched on this. Go play it for Christ's sake. I mean, we, we literally spent blood, sweat and tears on this. Go go play it so right. that our work wasn't for nothing, right? Hmm. Um, that's a good angle. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. I, I think that's just a fun little take on it as well um that even within the the employee circles not everyone feels the same necessarily um, well, that makes sense yeah you, you bust your bum putting out this game whatever it is let's just say it's a triple a one they usually take years and years to make you're going to want to see good sales you're going to want to see a lot of players you're going to want to see good reviews um mm -hmm. on whatever platform typically steam but there are others um that makes sense even if it was a painful process for you well like that's kind of rewarding you oh okay like yeah the the gaming public populace whatever likes likes the work we put in i can see that mm -hmm. too being kind of validating um i guess but what then, would be sorry i'm talking too much go ahead in, in terms of the problem more as a whole i think that the idea of a boycott is kind of a band-aid to a lost arm or something like that you know it <laughs> sure it might be something that can send a message that this isn't okay but I'm not convinced that it's going to have a lasting or meaningful impact necessarily. And mm. the change has got to come from bigger factors than that, be it legal in terms of the really severe cases or, you know, more just company culture or gaming culture. I don't know. Um, but I'm not sure that the boycott necessarily sends that message clear enough or mm. that it even necessarily sends the message at all, right? You might have a bunch of people boycott a game but are we sure that the reason why the boycott is happening is even being interpreted the right way i mean mm, maybe not very right? interesting very interesting i like that a lot um yeah it seemed to me i'm just, i just thought of this maybe the more effective boycotts are from the employees themselves like we're seeing with at blizzard they're doing walkouts and protests and stuff like that uh mm. you know state a state in this case california actually has a legal lawsuit against the company for like actual harassment like it would seem um maybe that is the more effective way because it doesn't get misinterpreted um you know because it's the actual people working there um or maybe you know friends of people working there or something whatever it is uh, who have more of like a, a knowledge of what's happening or how they feel because we don't know how they feel about it like you were saying it could be interpreted the wrong way um, they might just rather people play their game anyway. It's probably a real double whammy if you put a lot of pain in or maybe you were mistreated and then your game comes out and people are like, terrible game or boycott or, or uh, what do you call it, uh, review bombs and all this like whatever stuff. And then you're like, then you really feel like it was for nothing because no one's playing. Of course, in some cases, people just put out bad games. That does happen. And well, sorry, your game isn't very good. Um, but perhaps that's the better approach. I don't know if it's like, can employees get better contracts or like, can there be some more legal accountability for this stuff or oversight or whatever in big companies? Like that's probably the lasting change that would be more mm -hmm. useful than kind of this band-aid idea you were mentioning. Yeah. Yeah. And sort of from a personal perspective on the idea of boycotts, well, it's been so long since I've bought anything that wasn't just a sale or something like five, <laughs> uh, five euro sale or something. So I don't know. I don't think it's mattered that much in, in my personal game buying anyway. Right. Yeah, I feel that. I feel that. I, I was just thinking about that the other day. Like, 
when's the last time I bought a game for more than like twenty dollars? I don't know. It's yeah. been a really long time. Because <laughs> I'm buying it a year or two after its release, in, in a lot exactly. of cases. Um, I guess I spent like twenty two or three dollars on Gloomhaven. I think it's twenty five. For some reason, I had I don't know a dollar or two in my Steam wallet, so it was like a little discounted. <laughs> um, they did just get its Mac release three days ago officially which is cool. I brought it up on the podcast one of the ones, reviewed it and whatever. Um, but yeah, now it's officially out there on Steam Mac release. It's bug, you know, not crashing all the time and all that stuff. So that's cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, Lily, did you have any uh, thoughts you wanted to add on this whole, you know, whatever you want to call it, exploitation, I guess, and stuff? Whether Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's kind of a lot. There was one point I, I thought of earlier when you talked about um, like pushing through like the grind and all that, hmm. um, I think it comes down to also the work environment at the end of the day. Um, Cause you know, you mentioned like, okay, sometimes you have to stay late and doing work and yeah, for a couple of days, that's fine. But I think that's also, um, it's also about whether or not your employer is, um, holding employees on a task-based um, system or a time-based system. Because if it's task-based, then yeah, that makes sense, you know, because you have some short days, you have some long days. Um, you know, some sometimes, like with the Army, for example, I've had units that, that run things in a task-based system, like my current unit is task-based, so sometimes I'll be there for half a day and sometimes I'll be there three hours after all the other enlisted personnel are gone. It's just... You know, it's it's based on what we're doing on that day. And then there's time base where it's like you're sitting here from nine to five every day, regardless of what's happening. And so you have employees that maybe finish all their tasks for the day and then are just sitting there. And then later on, it's like, oh, by the way, now we have to force you to do overtime because this is behind. And it's like, OK, well, you know, last week I was sitting here three hours a day doing nothing. And now you're making me spend even more of my time here when this could have been solved earlier, you know? So it's, hmm. I feel there's an organizational problem there. If it's the latter, um, if it's, you know, you got employees sitting around doing nothing because you're forcing them to stay for a certain amount of time, which most places do that. But then also you can't add on, Hey, we're going to force you to work overtime now. When you didn't like when the when the higher ups didn't properly plan for this earlier, and you had that time, and now you're punishing your employees for your incompetence, you know. Um, right, right. And then I think um, on the whole boycotting thing, um, I don't think there's an easy solution there. Um. And I think it was mentioned, yeah, sometimes it comes down on the workers, but uh, more often than not, an employee or an employer, rather, uh, will not just start firing employees because of a boycott. They'll usually threaten it, but it rarely actually comes through. And when it does, it's a big deal. And I think at the end of the day, there's we as a consumer can only do so much to demand change from an employer. And I think that's probably the only way is by not consuming their products. 
and that's not for everyone. Um, but like me personally, I have not opened up the Activision Blizzard client in oh God, has it been months now? I don't know. It's been a while since since this whole thing started, and I was already not a fan of the direction WoW was going, and I was kind of just playing Overwatch just to play it. And then this happened, and and I was like, well, they already have my money, yeah, but I don't need to give them my time. That goes into their analytics, you know, and the subscription and the microtransactions, you know, there's still plenty of of ways that they benefit off that. So me personally, it's like, I can't do much on an individual level to affect change, but something I've always sort of tried to profess is, you have to do everything you can on an individual level to uh, drive change. And in this case, if it means I'm not playing Overwatch anymore, well, I'm playing Apex Legends instead. You know, it's not a big deal to me. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, the gaming industry is small, but there's always another game out there. That's just my thought on it. Yeah, it makes sense. I was just because you mentioned you weren't sure when you were last on. I just checked my Battle.net um, three months ago. I don't know mm-hmm. how many more. It doesn't. It could be like almost four months. So it just shows three. Um, so yeah, because yeah, you know it, it might have opened up the client automatically or something like that. Oh well, yeah, I I've seen that from a lot of uh, yeah my friends there. Yeah, but I definitely haven't played the games in a hot minute. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Like you have to wonder if any other com- like big again we're talking AAA space here um is anyone else looking at like Activision Blizzard and all the hot water they're in you know legally and um from the you know the the gaming sector in general uh you know their stocks are down and of course there's all this negative press and journalism and uh, the lawsuits or lawsuit or suits plural I'm not sure if it's more than one do other companies look at this and be like oh we got to we got to shape up we got to like you know um whatever add new rules or oversight or something i'm pretty sure one company oh maybe maybe it was nintendo they put out some kind of statement like they condemn it and i think it was nintendo and they're gonna like try and do everything they can for their employees i don't know i'm paraphrasing i think nintendo might have put out something like that not that nintendo that i know of anyway has been in any sort of hot water for that um but it'd be nice to see more companies being proactive i guess One, yeah, I like the least points. And, like, one final thing with the boycotts, um, it definitely depends on the company. I was looking it up a little bit, and different companies have very different bonus structures. So, like, Bungie, for example, when they were with Activision for Destiny 1, um, they had bonuses tied to Metacritic score. So if Destiny 1, people didn't like it that much, but there was no, like, controversy other than that. Um, But let's say, like, there was a big controversy. People decide to review bomb it. That's literally, like tens of thousands of dollars per employee that you're taking out of the employee's pockets. Um, and then other companies like Cyber or CD Project, they do profit share. So um, I'm not saying go buy the game so the one dev gets an extra three cents of profit share. But um, on a macro level, like if it costs millions of sales, um, that's real money. They average 35000 per employee on the bonus for Cyberpunk. So that's a lot of money, obviously, for a random individual but other companies it's just pure salary so it's complicated um boycotts will have very different effects on very different companies and obviously a multiplayer game like overwatch not giving your time 
is is an actual big deal because multiplayer games live and die off of how many people are giving their time. If it's Skyrim, I don't think Bethesda cares how much time you're giving because um, it's just a single player game. So yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, the multiplayer time aspect, uh, regardless of money, because even if it's a free to play game. Um, just again, a lot most of them are multiplayer. Maybe even all of them. Um, I don't know if there's actually any pure single player free to play. Like big again, talking bigger games here, not some like randy little random little indie game. Uh, I think just about all of them are multiplayer. So that's an interesting point as well. Yeah, regardless of the money, the time aspect. Yeah. Uh, so the conclusion is, yeah, there's no one conclusion. It's complicated, like Sam was <laughs> just saying. Um, but I like that. Uh, this is why I wanted to have a part two, because I wanted to hear Sam and Casper's thoughts, Lily speak again, uh, bringing a lot of interesting perspectives to this um, for me to think about and hopefully the listeners. Um, I think that's all I have for this topic, unless anyone else has additional comments. We could move on to our next subject. Feeling good. All right. Casper, uh, um, you've been having some adventures in wine lately on your new computer. Uh, just basically want you to. Talk about that and kind of what got you started, what kind of games you've been playing, and then, you know, just chat about it a bit. Yeah, so um, I got my M1 Max, uh, 16-inch MacBook Pro, uh, which is exciting. And, uh, well, as a result of no uh, boot camp, of course, I went on some adventures to see, well, what can I actually make run on this thing uh, without necessarily going into the already uh, well-explored routes of crossover and, and um what's it called parallels uh looking more at a i mean it's kind of the same thing as crossover but I'm, i've been using wine in a more quote-unquote pure sense um crossover is a project that's built on top of wine in a sense um code weavers they say they um, push back or give back uh push up to the main repository of wine around 95% of the code that they make, especially for a crossover, but not necessarily at the same time. And it's a whole thing, but crossover and, and wine are closely connected and code weavers even host the wine website. Mm-hmm. Uh, but wine is a separate thing in, in itself. Um, just closely tied to crossover, but yeah, I've been, I've been using wine to see uh, what I could make run uh, of windows titles on the, on my own Macs. And all in all, like performance in the things that do run, top notch. I mean, it runs. Per- um, I can run a game like Elix. Um, I don't know if you know it, but Elix it's uh, it's an RPG um, made by Piranha Bytes, uh, the same people who made the Gothic series and Risen and games like that. I can run that at native resolution, so just under 4K. All of settings pushed to max at like 90 frames per second average, and. I mean, that's just a 24-core GPU model, not even the 32-core, right? Um, nice. There are issues, though. Elix, uh, for one thing, it, it's got some flickering issues where some textures keep flickering in and out of existence, and that's kind of a kind of a game-breaking uh, problem because it really it's it's frustrating to look at, right? Mm-hmm. Um, some games run perfectly, though. Dark Souls runs perfectly, 4K. Uh, or well, full res- uh, resolution, native resolution, uh, locked at sixty frames per second runs perfectly fine. Um, nice. It I haven't gotten it to work with controller support, but that apparently does work in crossover. Uh, mm. I haven't gotten it to wor- uh, work in my uh, wine setup, 
Um, Mass Effect 2 works, but I could only get that to work with an OpenGL backend, not Molten VK, DXVK. Uh, so performance in there is, it's not locked at 60. It's more like hovering around 45-ish, um, which isn't great considering the age of the game, uh, where Elix is much newer and looks a lot better and it's like 90 FPS, but it works, right? Um, I've had some various issues with other titles like uh, Dragon Age Origins. You can get through the character creation, but as soon as you try and start the game, it just crashes instantly. And most games honestly don't work with the setup I've got working so far. They just crash on boot uh, before you properly get into them, like after the intro cinematics or something like that. Some games have audio issues and things like that. But the things that do work perform extremely well. So that's kind of where I'm at with the testing so far. Cool. Have you done any um, non-wine game testing? Again, not oh, referring to Rosetta 2 as... Yeah, native and uh, means, yeah. Right, right, through macOS. Uh, yeah, just regular macOS stuff. I've played, um, I've played a full game of Civilization VI. Um, played a bit of Endless Space. Um, and I think that that's it, honestly. Uh, not much more than that right now. But my observations there is that Civilization VI, it's like the, you know, there's that in-game benchmark for Civilization VI. It's not reflective at all of the performance of that game. (laughs) When I ran the in-game GPU benchmark, it was like 22 frames per second. And I was like, that seems really low. (laughs) Then I actually played through a full game of it. And it was constantly at like 70 FPS, even when you had the full map and everything was visible and kicking off. I don't know what was going on with the in-game benchmark there. Interesting. It played fine. And if you set it to... Um, so in the settings for the game, you can lock the frame rate at 60, 30, or even 20 um, for like saving on, on battery. If you lock mm-hmm. it to 30, the fans are off. So that's kind of cool. <laughs> oh, interesting. Right. I mean, yeah, I mean, for a game of Civ, do you really need like 60 or more FPS? Probably not. Not really. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, but I, I actually, for the most part, when playing the game, other than just testing what the actual frame rate limit was, I set yeah. it to 30 FPS just because no fan noise and long battery life, right? I could play a whole night on battery and it just ran. So that was cool. kind of nice. So you're happy with the machine so far? Because, you know, we Sam and I talked about ours a week or a few weeks ago. Um, so, so far, mm-hmm. so good for you. Oh, I'm enjoying it massively. I mean, um, so I primarily use it as a software development platform rather than a gaming device, right? Uh, so for that, it's it's doing exactly what I want from it. And uh, yeah, I'm enjoying it a lot. I've had a few things that's been like, eh, this has taken me a bit longer than it would have on an Intel machine, but I've gotten everything to work. It's just been a matter of how much effort it's been. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically, I'm thinking of um, my Haskell compiler, which was a bit of a pain to get set up, but it works. Nice. Yeah, uh, we, I don't think, mentioned it, but um, Casper has the 24-core uh, machine, so you got an upgraded one. Mm-hmm. The 24-core GPU M1 Mac. Yeah, yeah, so that's nice. Uh, once again, we lack any, like, super exciting new AAA stuff to, like, push these machines. Um, but oh, I had a thought the uh, this week that it's kind of interesting that these silicon machines, uh, especially any of the new ones, a Pro or a Max, they can actually run any available Mac game. 
in existence. Like they can run it and run it well. And that's kind mm -hmm. of interesting. That wasn't true of the Intel machines unless you necessarily bought a higher end one. Even the uh, first silicon, first gen, the M1s, with the exception of um, like the seven core MacBook Air, like if you buy an eight core one, especially if you get like the 16 GB RAM upgrade, you can also pretty much again run like every game in existence on Mac. Means that currently runs. Obviously, there's a bunch of stuff that won't run because of the whole 32 64 bit thing. All 64 bit games. Um, stuff again that will either isn't very well optimized or is high end. You're not going to run it at like high settings on an M1, even an eight core machine, but it'll be playable. Like Borderlands three is playable, like just barely at super low settings and stuff. But well, it's playable. Actually, there is there is one sort of exception to that. Uh, okay. One other game that I did test was actually XCOM two, just to see how it Ooh. ran. And I don't know what's going on with that, but it was basically locked at eighteen frames per second. Like terrible, interesting, um, and resource utilization was at like twelve percent for both CPU and GPU. It didn't use any of the hardware; it just stayed at eighteen frames per second. Sometimes went up to twenty, so it wasn't like a hard lock. Don't know what was going on there. Right? Yeah, that's definitely a caveat because we are also working with Rosetta or new hardware and older games. Not really mm -hmm. sure of those interactions. I was making a blanket statement, probably unwise, as you were just saying. Um, even on Intel, XCOM 2 is notoriously, like, performance-hungry. Um, mm -hmm. But it should be using, like, why isn't it using your resources? I don't know. That's weird. Yeah. Um, Feral's usually good about that stuff. I don't, I don't know if they'll, you know, in some cases, you know, because these, like, Feral and Aspire um, and such, they're big in the Mac space, but by any, like, game company comparison, they're small. So they don't have the resources to necessarily go back and update every game. That's why Aspire dropped a ton of games. Feral dropped a ton of games. They're like, we're just not going to port these. To, you're not going to upgrade them to 64-bit, for example, or maybe not upgrade them to, I guess. So I don't think, um, with the exception of Feral, maybe a couple games, um, you know, everything's still running through Rosetta 2. Um, mm -hmm. So, But in most cases, maybe almost all, with a few exceptions, I think it's pretty cool that... You can buy a silicon machine, it can almost run everything. It's not like a console where it's like everything's going to run more or less at these settings and these FPS and the screen resolution, so it's not like that locked. Um, you're st there's still going to be variables there, you know, quite a lot. But nothing should be, almost nothing, again, a few exceptions. Uh, everything should, should be playable, and I think that's really cool. And again, good because... Mac gamers in particular, the casual ones, seem to really struggle with system requirements. Um, it's the most common question I see everywhere in forums. I get them on my YouTube, even on videos that are like years old sometimes. I get a comment, oh, will this run on this? It's always almost always a laptop. You know, will it run on this machine from 2012 or 15? Or sometimes it's a new one. I got a new one and they just don't know. And they're asking about, I don't know, XCOM or Hades or I don't know. Bunch of I have a bunch of games up there. Um, I see it all over... Apple Discords that I'm in. It's the most common question just every day. Will this run? Will this run? What will run on my machine? People don't know. Um, and you still see that on the M1 stuff too. But now you have to worry about it less. Because again, unless you buy the absolute minimum M1 7 core, more or less everything will run, run reasonably well. Or at least acceptably well. And of course, if you have a Pro or a Max, a lot of stuff for one will, uh, will run very well. So I think that's really cool. As a thought, like pretty neat. That's true right now. May not be true next year. May not be true in like 
Total War Warhammer 3 releases. It's probably going to be very demanding. <laughs> we'll run on the new machines, probably not that great on like an M1, um, but that Pro or a Max should be no problem. So it's true right now, but that's still pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. Um, so I wanted to talk about something that I was completely unaware of slash ignorant of, and Casper corrected me. I was under the impression for some reason that the Silicon machines were like literally incapable of dual booting. Like it wasn't even possible. I don't know why I thought that, but I did. Um, but apparently it is possible. Um, in Casper, you had found also something in relation to dual booting and like windows and, a just revealed, what do you call it? agreement between microsoft and someone else about windows and that's why it's not available Qualcomm. for like this uh, yeah you could yeah, talk so, about that um, for a little microsoft bit. has um, microsoft has supposedly has or allegedly has or whatever a proper word there would be uh, a deal with qualcomm that it limits the windows and arm license to qualcomm devices uh, or probably also microsoft devices um the the Microsoft Surface did that have a Qualcomm processor in it? Does anyone know that? Probably did, didn't it? Not sure. Uh, one from like a year ago did. Yeah, Surface right. Pro X. Mm-hmm. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they they had a, a deal that prohibited uh, Windows on ARM for or from officially being licensed for devices not with uh, Qualcomm chips in them. Uh, so Microsoft, uh, as people might know. Um, if you want to run Windows on ARM through Parallels or something like that, you have to sign up through the Insider program and download it that way. Because you can't download a Windows on ARM ISO through normal means uh, because Windows doesn't, or Microsoft doesn't officially allow you to buy a license for it. Um, and that's apparently because of this deal with Qualcomm, which is supposedly expiring fairly soon. And back when the M1 chips were originally announced and the M1 uh, Air and 13-inch Pro came out. Uh, Apple, I think it was Craig Federighi in an interview with someone, uh, MKBHD maybe, Jonathan Morrison from YouTube, one of those two, I think. Um, Craig Federighi said that Apple had what they needed to make Windows work on these machines, and the ball was in Microsoft's court uh, to make that happen. And they were ready to talk to them about potentially making a boot camp option or similar. Hmm. Um, so with this deal expiring, it's possible, not necessarily happening, but it's possible that a bootcamp solution could come to the Apple Silicon Mac. Yeah, that's very interesting. Again, it's the possibility. Um, I guess, I mean, they did it for all the Intel machines for so long. I don't, I guess, let's assume the deal expires soonish. Maybe we'll see it even sometime next year. I guess the question is Apple would have to make new support for it because currently if someone listening hasn't boot camp before you have to um partition your hard drive first there's a whole boot camp assistant uh you can use which is very easy and it makes you plug in some external drive of some kind to download i think it's about 800 megabytes or something maybe a gigabyte of uh you know boot camp drivers and support blah 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 stuff which you then plug in at some point during the installation or maybe after the installation of windows is done um Obviously, that's all for Intel stuff, so they have to come up with something new for the silicon. Um, but it is a fact that Windows can run on ARM machines, so that isn't an issue. Um, so that would be very interesting um, if Boot Camp would return. Um, again, we all pre- I would prefer Mac gaming be more of a focus, but 
if people aren't going to release Mac games or not in as much quantity, um, people are going to game how they're going to game, whether that's through Rhine or Crossover or a streaming thing like GeForce Now or Bootcamp. Of course, Bootcamp currently not possible on a Silicon machine, but the other options are, or again, Parallels. Um, so people are doing a lot of interesting things. Um, Andy, Andy Tizer, Andrew Zai, Tsai, T-S-A, I don't know how to say his name. Uh, he does a ton of testing on all this with the new machines on YouTube. We've referenced him before. He was on an episode, I think, five for an interview. Um, mm-hmm. But he's he's just cranking videos of this stuff. So if you're curious about, like, oh, what will uh, a Pro or Max machine run in, like, Wine and Parallels and whatever, he's got, it's like, 50 or 100 games or something tested across multiple videos. He's a machine um, I mean that in a good way, trying to compliment him. Like he's doing good work in this particular space. So, um, yeah. So if you're curious about that or don't want to tinker yourself, maybe like someone like Casper will just tinker around with wine. Um, you can go have a peek in those videos. There's other people. There's a few other people who put out some of this content too, but he's the main guy uh, in bulk as far as I can see. Um, so that's pretty cool. That's pretty nice. Let me see. Those are the main things I wanted to cover. Oh, Lily's here. I forgot. Okay. Um, I don't know if the rest of you guys are interested in this, um, but I am. So I'm going to be selfish here. Um, Lily, do you want to talk about Arcane a little bit? I fucking love Arcane. Yeah. Okay. Have you watched any more episodes? I I got home from my in-laws yesterday. And I binge-watched uh, all of the other episodes in one sitting. Yes. Okay, <laughs> fantastic. I watched five or six in one go when I started watching it, like, a week ago. I was like, oh, I'll check this out. And then, like, four or five hours later, <laughs> it's, like, two in the morning. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, quick intro. Arcane is a new Netflix series. Um, I don't know. Uh, I think it was a French studio who made, like, the animation. I don't know the name. But anyway, it's uh, League of Legends-based TV show, League of Legends being developed by Riot, which is a MOBA 5v5 head-to-head game like Dota 2 or Heroes of the Storm and stuff like that, uh, is available on Mac, has been for a very long time. The game came out itself, I think, in 2009, or at least the beta was in 2009. Really old game, been around for it, you know, super popular. Um, So what's interesting here is Lily is a League fan, has been for a while. I am not a League fan at all, League being short for League of Legends or a LOL, um, which is always funny because that also means laugh out loud, but... In fact, I actively dislike the game. Um, but the show, it's just based in the League of Legends universe. They have a bunch of lore. You know, there's world, you know, there's all continent and cities and people and blah, blah, blah. They've developed a lot of lore. So the show ultimately, in a sense, has nothing to do with the game. Only in that some of the characters in the show are also like playable characters in the game. But this is more of like an origin story show going way back. So when if, if you are a League of Legends fan like Lily, there's probably some cool Easter eggs and like you might go, oh, that I, I recognize that about this character later. They're going to turn into that one or something. I have zero knowledge of the show whatsoever. I mean, of like League of Legends, of lore. I played the game once back in like 2014 or 15 because a League friend of mine, not Lily, had tried Dota. So Lily did try Dota and play Drow Ranger mid or something. Um, I sucked. Yeah, yeah, you did, but that's okay. Dota's a hard <laughs> game. Uh, I went into wow, you don't League. even sugarcoat it. Goddamn. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I went into League and I sucked. I played Annie. That's the only character. Um, I don't even know her background or anything. Anyway, the point is, I don't like League of Legends, but the Arcane is amazing. 
I free, like it's a phenomenal show. It's getting a lot of hype and um, reviews. I guess hype's the wrong word. Rightfully okay. so. Sam's a recovering league addict, apparently. Yeah, rightfully so. So this is one of the shows I can say that actually lives up to its hype. Coming in, I didn't know anything other than I kept seeing like 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10. The show's really cool. I did see a trailer. Um, and by the trailer, you can just kind of tell, okay, there's two factions, two cities. Basically, they don't like each other. There's some fighting. But the trailer doesn't really give anything away. So I basically went into this almost blind in a sense of like, other than a very basic sketch of the story, I didn't know anything about the characters or where it might go. And um, I guess I would say it's really surprising um, by... Uh, there's a lot I want to say about it, but I'll try and keep this short because um, we're wrapping up in like 10 minutes. Um, but basically... I guess I want to talk about the like thematics a bit first and sort of the show rating. The show is rated TV 14, and I feel like that's misleading. This is almost an R-rated show. It's like a really hard PG-13, like really hard. Um, and if there was basically a little more violence on display, the show is very violent, but it's like there's not like blood and gore flying everywhere. Um, but if there was, it would easily be an M-rated show. Like, But thematically... I feel like this is an M or R rated show. By thematically, I mean like, uh, I don't know, there's lots of political stuff going on. There's corruption, abuse, exploitation, you know. Straight up torture. There's torture, there's mass murder, there's terrorism, there's like men severe, serious mental health issues. I think the only, reason, the only reason it was PG 13 is because it was an animation style. Yeah. Um, but in any case, don't go into this thinking it's like some kiddie show. This is very adult, even though the main characters in many cases are kids. These two sisters, uh, Vi and Powder. Um, but there's also other main characters. But the main characters are these sisters and they're sort of how they grow up. Uh, you know, it's not uh, the well, trailer kind of. Sp- yeah. And they're only kids in the first half. And even then, Vi's a, like a pretty a teenager, upper end yeah. teenager like she's it's i think true. 16 in the first half and then after the time skip she's solidly an adult yeah that's true that's true um teenagers to adults and there's other you know so the basic premise is there's this under city called zon in the top side called what is it piltover or Piltover. Something. Mm-hmm. and the top side's all rich and fancy and it's this city of progress um in the past there was a big war with something to do with magic it's kind of eluded and then this city is sort of forsaken all ideas of magic and they just want to rely on technology and be like progressive and cool and safe and kind of you know be a beacon of future and hope it's all very noble um Mm -hmm. so what's interesting to me about the show is i think it's really relatable because of all these human struggles that it portrays on both sides on the top side and the bottom um and what i feel like a fairly good summary is the show is full of bad people who want good things because even the bad guys um, basically want good things. Like there's a drug lord or sort of person who runs the Undercity, and he does a lot of bad stuff. He's undoubtedly a villain, but he does want good things. He wants to be respected by Topside. He kind of wants freedom and independence from them. He doesn't want to be ruled over by their sort of oppressive like police enforcer regime sort of thing. Um, the top side isn't like that. It's just the bottom. So he wants good things, but he goes about them in a bad way. And I find that interesting. He's not afraid, you know, use intimidation and murder and corruption and smuggling and, you know, flood the streets with drugs and all the stuff for money. Um, 
but he's also trying to like achieve independence for his people, but he's also kind of a scumbag. So it's like, there's a lot of like shades of gray in this show. And I personally think this said villain and some of his underlings are actually some of the most compelling characters in the show. I think they're really, really interesting. Um, but anyway, that's just about it thematically. I personally like this kind of stuff. I like shows that are a little darker, a little heavier. Um, and I guess I was mostly caught by surprise because the show kept going places I didn't expect it to. I was like, what? They they did that or they said that or this is happening? I'm like, wow. Um, but there's a lot, you know, there's multiple storylines going on in the top side and the other side. And there's various intersecting arcs. Uh, the show takes place over three arcs broadly with three episodes each. So it's like, I think they even call it arc one, two and three. Um, so there's sort of like this lot of build up and tension and then sort of a climax finale episode which is episodes like three, six, and nine. Um, so it's also released in a really interesting way. They could almost be their own like movies and it's roughly two hours for, it's about a six hour show total, give or take. So it's almost kind of like three movies in a sense. Um, but they're also very interconnected. They take place. There is a time jump between episode three and four, pretty big one. Like it's indeterminate. It doesn't actually say, but it seems to be around five ish years, maybe even more around five. five. If they're going by yeah. the lore ages that, the characters are in the game right and you subtract one or two from that because there's still like some clear development going on right, right. um and it's about four or five years sure um and then after that but otherwise it's continuous all the storylines pick up right where they left off and everything um so i guess who would like this show i mean any league of legends fan i'm sure would like the show um but i i can recommend it to anyone who because again even if you're like oh i hate league of legends forget about it just watch the show it's really really good the storylines are compelling the animation's phenomenal it's like neck it's like next level visual style super cool uh like just almost mind-blowing it's so good um i I, I had a bad thought and i don't think uh everyone who plays league of legends would like it (laughs) because uh there are some very racist and homophobic people who play league of legends and arcane has a mixed race relationship and uh, a pretty, it's not officially confirmed, but they're pretty much lesbians relationship in there. I mean, it's so. it's hinted at. It's hinted at. Um, yeah, and what's true, the MOBA space is very toxic across the board. Yeah. Um, well, I can't account for the, for the bad eggs, but just if you like action, you like adventure, you want a compelling story, go watch Arcane. It's really cool. It's kind of a steampunky aesthetic actually really reminds me of dishonored if there's any dishonored fans out there um though this game came out before that so i can't say the inspiration but um it's just a really good show music's good uh voice acting's really good there's some well there's some you know big name actors in there doing the voice acting and also some lesser known but very consistent voice acting across the board music's really cool world i have building. the soundtrack on spotify world building's pretty good I have a, a basically give the easily give the show like a nine or nine and a half out of ten. I have a few niggles about the show, a few minor complaints, but no major ones. I just think it's like it was just really good. And yeah, I binge watched the first half of it. Lily binge watched the second half of it. It's very compelling. Um, the second two thirds of it, more like yeah, right. I got to the time skip, and then I'm about to oh. leave to head to my in laws for Thanksgiving, and I was literally sitting there like. Can I tell my wife that I'm going to be an hour late because I don't? <laughs> she, she left early to go to go help cook, and I'm still here doing work. So I'm I'm sitting there looking at the screen 
like, all right, I can't tell her I'm I'm still at work because she knows I'm off work by now. So how do I play this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What's so what's interesting about the show is yeah, there's tons of action in the show, more than you'd think. And it's done really well. It's one of the best, if not the best, like animated action shows I've ever seen. And I watch a lot of anime. Um it's just really well done. It's impactful. It's kinetic. It's largely believable. Two of my criticisms around the show revolve around two characters doing stuff in combat. They have, in what, in my opinion, they have no right to be able to be doing. That's One guy can literally dodge bullet. <laughs> I understand that because I went and looked it up later. But as far as the show is concerned, like showing someone like me who doesn't know, it's like, well, how can they do that? It doesn't make sense. One Wait, kid who can just like literally. Bullet? Echo. Oh, oh yeah, because how yeah. like and he's dodging bullets against Jinx, who's a crack, who's shown to be a crack shot in the show from a kid. She's like an expert dead eye marksman, but this kid's just like pew pew. I'm dodging bullets. It's like how? The, I understand <laughs> based on the show, he has like some sort of time manipulation skills or something, but uh, in the game, but in the show, there's no mention of ma- everything's just technology and like skill level. There is like hints of magic, but it's it's like in the background. There's some scientists like there's an arc there where these two scientists are exploring it and trying to develop it. But um, this particular character, this kid, he hasn't other than being like pretty acrobatic. There's no reason he can dodge bullets on the logic of what they show you. That's all I'm saying. I know lore nerds or game nerds will understand. Oh, he's got these rare, rare, rare. But as for what they actually show you, there's no there's no like uh, believability there. And I'm just like, give me a break. How is he dodging bullets against a crack shot? Like. Pasha, nonsensical. That um, wasn't actually a magic ability. That was a tech ability. Um, that clock that he winded back. Okay, yeah. He made that himself from hex tech, and I guess they didn't make it super clear in the show. But there's a reason they focus so much on. I'm setting this stopwatch, and now I'm going to rush through all these bullets because. Okay. Yeah, they showed the watch and then he went into it. It didn't mean anything to me. I'm just like WTF going on. Um, It wasn't super clear in the show, but that's where that that's where that ability comes from. It's a hex tech ability. Okay, okay. I guess I was slightly biased because I really like Jinx, the character who got beat up in that moment. (laughs) Spoiler: Um, She's basically a cross between like Harley Quinn and Tiny Tina, plus her own thing. Um, But. She's a really interesting, compelling character. Also very tragic, very traumatic. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what makes this show so harsh, in a sense, is that... Um, I'm just going to finish by saying, like, it's showing all these kids dealing with, and not really any, with any conclusion, like, all this trauma. Yeah. I so saw this meme of a... It was, you know, the... The... Like, the super thick book... And then, like, a really tiny book next to it. And then on the left, it said, like, for the really thick book, it was, like, Arcane Story. And then on the right, it was Arcane Story if if Powder got therapy. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's a great... That's a, that's that's true. Yeah. Huh? Poor girl. Yeah. As Sam, you had a thought? Yeah, I just want to say, like, as I played League since 2011, I think for like um, thousands of hours probably tens of thousands um thousands of dollars spent as well unfortunately um i, I was like <laughs> zero expectations i heard the show was coming out like a year or whenever ago they announced it i totally forgot about it and then when i saw it came out i'm like oh this will probably be some like cringe show to get like the next generation of like 10 year olds into league so they can make more money off them no this show's like really really good um 
like yeah like definitely like a lot of really heavy topics that are flirting with like the the 18 rating but um really really good um like as a league fan i loved it but it's you didn't have to know anything about league to enjoy the show as as john mentioned um Mm. and like i know league fans are are, it was a little bit controversial the last couple years because they've been retconning like almost all lore in the game but I really like how they're kind of setting things up now with the show and with the lore and stuff like that. Like, not all the lore has been changed, but several champions have literally just had their lore deleted. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, actually, this is his background. It's not the one it's been since 2011. It's right. It's soft retcons for the most part. I can't. Yeah. I can't think of any character that's had a major retcon. Like stories unrecognizable, but they've definitely fucked with the story a little bit. Um. But it's a it's a far cry from the last time we've had lore, and I absolutely love that Riot is bringing lore back because even though it's a MOBA, it's nice to have that story there. It's nice to to know what your character is like. Okay, what do these voice lines mean? Why is this character like gruff and nihilistic? Why is this character like happy go lucky? Like it's flavor, yeah. But but having that extra detail just makes it a little more enjoyable. And they used to do so much lore back in the day. There was, I don't know if you remember, Sam, the Journal of Justice. Like the, if it was weekly or monthly, I don't remember. But they would have these just these lore drops, and then the world would be built up, and then they would release a game mode, and there would be an, an explanation for why that game mode was there. Um, hmm. Cool. But yeah, League has such awesome lore, and it makes me yeah. really excited for the. Um, they're making a ton of games right now. Like outside of league, yeah. um, but that are based in the league universe, so I'm excited. Sort of, yeah. What's going to be? And it's really yeah, nice. Several. Sadly, only League League of Legends itself is available for Mac. There's like three or four other games just released or releasing that don't have Mac support. But um, Ruined King is not available for Mac. Not that I've saw. Um, huh. But I wanted to ask you guys, as League fans watching Arcane, um, did you spot like particular Easter eggs or kind of like? you know, stuff you could recognize or like say in the first three episodes or something, you were like, Oh, that's really cool or, or whatever. Cause I didn't have those moments as a non league fan. It was just like, I appreciated the show in general, but did you get like extra out of it being a league fan? Uh, I'll go first. Yeah, definitely. Um, the whole time I was waiting for Vi to get her gauntlets. And, uh, oh, okay. There's one, okay. there's one fight where she, like you hear her like ultimate sound, which would mean absolutely nothing if you didn't play league, but she's like fighting somebody and she's like, I don't know. You heard the all just the sound hint from her ultimate happens and like yeah. it fits perfectly but you're just like yes there it is there's the uh there's the I used to be a Vi main for like years so oh, okay that must be <laughs> it was very pretty gratifying interesting interesting how about you Lily I was a Caitlyn main for many years oh, <laughs> okay. okay so uh yeah seeing her was awesome seeing the like the crack shot she has going I, I'm I'm waiting for her to get her sniper because she still she's only had the rifle and she had to give it up. But, yeah, uh, she gave it away. Yeah, exactly. I'm I'm waiting for her to bust out the big gun. So I'm looking forward for yeah, that. Interesting. Too. Interesting. But there were definitely yeah. some aha moments. Like the biggest one for me was when uh, you hear Vic like Victor introduces himself. Like Jace was just like, oh, what's your name? And he just says, my name is Victor. And to, to to people who don't know League, it's like, oh, okay, cool. New character, Victor. To those of us who play the, the game and know what Victor's end state is already, it was just like mind 
blown. At least for me, it was like mind blown. Like, holy shit, that's Victor. Like, what happens? How does what? Where is this going? Interesting. Um, yeah, I've I've seen some really funny memes on the Arcane subreddit, which I just joined the other day. Um, anyway, it's kind of a. I guess I don't want to uh, spoil it. But um, basically, it shows oh, Jace God. going like, uh, hey, Victor, have you seen Sky? And he's like, no. And he's got a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> he's vacuuming the floor. <laughs> spoilers. Oh. Spoilers. Yeah, but it doesn't actually. It's only a minor spoiler. And you kind of seen it. And he's like, huh? I don't know what you're talking about. And he's like vacuuming. Um, kind of a dark, dark comedy moment there. But um. Basically, it's just a really good show that lives up to the hype. It's a great action adventure. It's really has a lot of like relatable human moments. There's a lot of just generally well depicted struggle. Again, a few nitpicks. They like vaguely skip over. I feel like there's a little what do you call it? A couple moments are kind of fast forwarded or characters arrive like I'm here and now I'm here in terms of like emotionally or mentally. And it's kind of like that feels a little maybe a little too fast. Um, but no major nitpicks about the show. I just think it's really cool, really well done. League fan or not, as Sam and uh, Lily have shown, if you are a League fan, there's a lot of extra cool stuff. I was blown away by the show, knowing nothing about it. Um, went beyond my expectations, other than I saw the trailer. So, okay, at some point, for example, I know Vi got some gauntlets, but I figured it was just like, you know, I figured she just got her hands on some uh, special tech, like, temporarily. Now I understand, oh, it's like I went and looked up her character later. Oh, okay, it's like her thing. Um, she's, you know, this brawler, but yeah, it's just well done. Generally well done. Uh, cool show again, not a kid's show. I feel like they say TV 14. I feel like it's more like TV 16. <laughs> That's not a rating. Uh, the UK, I think has a, a 15 rating or something, but they're the only ones. So would not recommend it for your kids at all. Even if your kids play league or something, um, not a kid's show at all <laughs> so just putting that out there or if you are an adult who's dismissing the show as being a kid's show not at all go check it out it's really cool if you like that sort of setting you have to kind of like sci-fi this kind of tech stuff um and i guess you have to also like animation some people don't like animation um but this is a really cool animated style so i don't really like anime and I, I liked it a lot Right. So at least go check out a trailer and you can get an idea yeah. of the, the style. Um, but yeah, the show's really cool, full of cool characters, epic finales, really very turns, epic and awesome. And by turns also like heart wrenching and gut wrenching. Um, yeah, there's just it's just a really cool show ends on a bit of an annoying cliffhanger, I must say. I wish they showed like maybe 30 more seconds. <laughs> it's a little pesky, but season two's coming. Um. And I presume probably more seasons because I heard somewhere that all Netflix shows are contracted for like three seasons minimum or something like that. I don't know how true that is. Um, but in any case, the show's done well and it's super popular. So I'm sure they'll keep making more of it. I know that Netflix um, usually does multiple seasons, but they always have an escape clause in there. Like if a show doesn't get a certain amount of popularity or views, then they're like... See ya. <laughs> yeah, that's why apparently if there's some metric where there's like Netflix is filled with shows that are like three seasons long, but no more. Yeah. Because they did their run and then boop, they're cut off. Um, you know, but stuff like, say, The Witcher show is mega popular. We only have a season two coming, releasing pretty soon, a couple weeks, I think. 
presumably they'll make more as a mega hit. Something like Arcane is turning out to be also a mega hit. I'm sure they'll make more as well than three, presumably. So, but that's cool. Yeah. Um, we had some thoughts in the future to talk about some TV shows, like maybe Foundation, which is on Apple Plus. Um, we'll see. We'll see if we get there because Tad and Sam are fans of that. I don't know if anyone, the rest of us have seen it. Um, but I thought it came as a cool place to start because it's actually a show based on a game, and that game is also available on Mac, and it's a really good show. So it fit all the criterion to uh, to be talked about. But yeah, really fun. Even if yeah, if you just like, there's so much action in the show, far more than you'd think. So even if you just kind of want to just sit back and chill with some action, um, you can also just go and watch the show. I guess it's hard to chill with the show when there's all this like drama going on, but there's some really cool fight scenes. Even if you just want to look up like. Best of Arcane fight scenes. I'm sure there's already compilations or something put out there. Um, pretty pretty rad. Yeah. And that will do it for this episode 20. I believe a few folks have to get going, and we've covered some very interesting topics across the board. So I think this is also the first time we've had five people on, if I'm not mistaken. So that's pretty cool. So thanks to all of you for making this a special episode 20. Casper, Ted, Sam, and Lily, really appreciate it. And we appreciate you, the listeners, who keep uh, supporting us with your listening and downloads. Our stats are holding very steady across the board, in some cases growing, so that's really fun. I think we've hit over a 1,000 downloads total now. I Ooh. actually forget. Or maybe not, because I didn't get a... Uh, all time. Oh, no, I'm wrong. We only have 900. But with the YouTube views, I'm pretty sure we have over a 1,000. So, But official stats are approaching a 1,000 downloads, so that's pretty cool. So thanks to everyone, and um, we will be back next week with another show. And uh, have good luck, have fun out there. Cheerio. See you later, everybody. Okay, bye. <laughs> yep, see y'all. A big thank you to Kevin McLeod for the intro and outro music. Be sure to check out his library on the web. You can find more episodes of our show on our website, macgamecast.com, or in all major podcast directories. If you enjoy the show, please consider commenting, following, or sharing. Thanks again for listening, and see you next time.